Good morning again. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're in our third installment of a teaching series called Crazy Faith. And what we've been doing over the last two weeks, and now week three, is we're studying the life of Abraham, how he took a crazy step of faith, and how sometimes you and I are called to take crazy steps of faith, right? It's those steps of faith that don't make sense. It's those steps of faith that aren't rational. It's those steps of faith that tend to lead us in a Godward direction. God empowers us, but at times it seems impossible. And so as we walk through this this morning, I want to remind you about a couple of things. We started way back two weeks ago in Genesis chapter 12. God came to Abram. Later on, he renamed him Abraham, as we learned last week. God uh, called Abram and said, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your wealth, your comfort, everything, and go to a land called Canaan that's filled with wicked people. And there, at that place, even though you're about 80 years old, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with a child, even though Sarah has been barren her entire life. I'm going to bless you, make a great nation out of you. And from that, he establishes the Jewish people. And so we learned out of that first teaching, that teaching in, uh, two weeks ago about Abram leaving his home and us being called to leave our comfort zone, we learned this key principle, and it's simply this. Obedience is not complicated, even though it is difficult, right? And, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't dare believe that God is going to call some people in here to another continent. He may call you to another job. He may call you to another town, perhaps another state. I, live, I felt like I was an international missionary when I pastored in Louisiana, and by, by the way, we need to pray for those folks. The church I serve there, many of the people in my church there um, have, have lost everything. And so we're going to be dealing next week. We're going to provide ways that we can do mission and do help there in Louisiana. You'll hear about that next week. I just got a message this morning from a pastor friend there in Hammond, Louisiana. So be, be ready for that. But God's probably not going to call you to that. But as a believer, if you know Jesus, here's what he has called you to. Obedience. Christian living, that's hard, is it not? Just say, yeah, you've been to Walmart, it's tough. And here's the deal, Christian living, holy living, and here, even as a church, excellence in what we do is difficult, but it's very clear, it's not complicated, but God empowers us. And then last week we talked about the impossibilities of some steps of faith, about how Abram was, Abraham was 100 years old, and his wife was 95, and God said, hey, you're going to have a baby. That is a different type of pickup line to your wife. <laughs> you're going to have a baby. But here's what we learned at the end of that story. Crazy faith, crazy steps of faith, are not about making us happy, but about making us holy. Because I don't want you to confuse something. Life is not about happiness. It's not about you being happy. I mean, as, 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 as Americans, it says in our founding documents, to pursue what? Happiness. But there's a distinct difference in Christianity and, and the rest of the world is that God gives you joy. Joy is eternal. Happiness is circumstantial. And when you go through those rough seasons, don't begrudge those. God is perfecting you. God is knocking off the rough edges. God is sanding you. And God is taking you a place of holiness. Happiness comes and goes. Sadness comes and goes. My mom has a, has a picture in her in her, on her porch where we all sit and gather as a family, and it's her favorite Bible verse, and it says, this too, will, this too will pass. You happy today? It will pass. <laughs> you sad? It's going to pass. Joy is forever. This morning we're going to transition, and by doing that we're going to go backward. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning of Abram's experience, to Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. 
And as we look at his experience, I can't help but think of Abraham as one of those guys who I admire for his faith. And y'all have people like that in your life, don't you? I mean, it could be a grandmother who's been walking with Jesus since she was born. And you see her and you're like, wow, you are a faithful person and I love you and I put you on a pedestal. Or maybe it was a pastor from another church because I hope it's not me that you put up on a pedestal. And you say, that person has an incredible amount of faith or a leader, a small group leader, someone in your life. And, and for, for me, as I look at Abraham, I put him on a, position, a pedestal for myself because, I mean, the faith it took for him to step out and leave everything that he had and believe that God was going to provide is amazing. Um, but we're going to learn in a few moments. That is, a, that is an incredible, incredible mistake for us to make. The only person that belongs on a pedestal is Jesus. Because every other person that we read about in history, not just biblical history, failed somewhere, right? And I bet in your faith journey, as you've been called to take crazy steps of faith, there have been times where your faith has been very frail or at least, and it sometimes failed. Y'all been there? So I've had faith. I believe that God could do some things. But because of some experience, because it's been a tough season in my life, my faith's very frail. And maybe... Uh, it's failed completely. You've walked away from God for a period of time, or what we say in the church, you've backslidden. All of us have been there, correct? So how do we struggle through that? How do we deal with that? Because, believe me, God is going to place us in situations to where our faith is frail and sometimes fail. But here's what you've got to understand. When we go through those seasons, God is not testing us to see if we have faith. He knows that already. He's showing you what kind of faith you have. And we take that and we build off of that. But I want to be clear for a moment. We're not talking about the faith that saves you. Because so many times we'll tune into TV and we'll see people, you know, come forward if you want to be healed and the person wasn't healed and they'll say, well, they just didn't have the faith to do that. Y'all seen that on TV, right? That's, get away from that if you ever experienced that. Um, or you maybe heard people say, you know, if I just have the faith to move forward in my life, but I don't, and therefore God's not going to bless me. That's not what we're talking about. When I was, uh, my parents have three grown children, and we all have children, so they have grandchildren now. And I think they love the grandchildren more than they love their children. And if you're a grandparent, is that true? Okay, I see a lot of heads nodding. Yes. Okay, one in the back. Yes. Because uh, I put my kids, my, my parents, I'm not going to say the word, but it begins with an H at times. And so, uh, uh, and so to have grandchildren, they spoil them, they wind them up, and send them home full of sugar. And I cannot wait for my kids to have kids because I'm going to do worse. Uh, and so they're at that point to where they are reclaiming the bedrooms that belong to the children at one time. You know what I mean? They're making it into an office. They're making it into a spa. I don't know. They're not doing that. But whatever they want to do. But they're bringing all the junk that we had left over and saying it's yours. It goes in the dumpster or it goes to your house. Any of you guys who are parents of older children are doing that. And so my parents are in this mode. They're doing that kind of stuff. And I don't know why they did this, but my dad comes up to me the other day. I was at his house, and he says, here. And he hands me a stack of newspaper articles and, a, and like a third-place ribbon from a science fair project where only three kids participated. And said, these are yours, you know? And so I started looking through them with my kids. And all of a sudden, there's this newspaper article that popped up. And um, give you a little background here. I wrestled in high school. 
And in my senior year, I'd gotten to be pretty good, and I went to the state tournament, and my whole objective was to win the state championship. That's what every athlete's thing is. And so I prayed for this. And I, I mean, I was a Christian. I was very new in my faith. I've been in church nine months before I was born. Do the math on that. And so by the time I was a senior in high school, I, I was praying and uh, very shallow prayers. But this were my prayer for this wrestling tournament. God, uh, I believe I'm going to even, I've heard this on TV, I'm going to name this and claim this, and I'm going to win the state championship. I know you're going to empower me. I know this is going to work out for my good. I even wore a Christian t-shirt all week, you know. It's kind of like some of you who have a fish sticker on your car and speed. And so, I mean, God, that's why I don't have one. And so, God, I know you're going to provide. You know, I'm going to win this thing. And I was reminded as I opened up this newspaper article, there was a big picture of me getting my butt whooped. And on the bottom it says, Wheeler loses in state tournament. I'm like, gah! Not only did I lose, I was embarrassed in front of my whole hometown. That's the memory I took from my senior year. The kind of faith that I had is not the faith I'm talking about. I'm talking about a faith that ends with trust. Saying, God, I believe in your promises here. And I trust you to make it happen. We come to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, where he is called to take not just a step of crazy faith, but a trust that God is going to do what he's going to do. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, he's called out of his hometown of Ur, which is present-day Baghdad. He goes to Canaan. He sets up two sites of worship. So he's on a spiritual high. God is protecting. God is blessing. And at the very end of verse 9, it said, Abraham set out and continued toward Negev or Najib, and basically that is a desert, arid place. It's the end of the wilderness. This is where Jesus went to be tempted for 40 days um, by Satan there in the wilderness, and many people said that those areas of wilderness in that day and age were filled with demons, and so this is a bad place. And we come to verse 10, and it says this, and I want you to hear me what I'm saying. Notice what it says. It'll be on the screen. Now there was a famine in the land. Now stop here. This is, let's, let's, let's grab context. Now there was a famine in the land. you got to think, Abraham had moved from what is called the Fertile Crescent. This is a place in history, and if you've taken high school history, you know, know this. Um, this is a place where it was rich in resources for vegetables and, and grasses for your herds, and it was never going without. And so people gathered around these tiger, Tigris and Euphrates river basins and around this area, and they grew their crops, and they had plenty God called them out of that, moved them to Israel. He went to the wilderness and experienced famine. He's never experienced this before. This is a position, in fact, famine in the Hebrew language, and that's what the Old Testament is written in, literally means hungry. He's hungry all the time. And he's got his family there. The guy's 90 years old. He's left everything. He's at the edge of the wilderness. He's surrounded by people he doesn't know. Famine strikes, and it is a major place of testing for his faith. He's taking this crazy step of faith. But he experiences famine. Hear me on this. There are going to be moments in your crazy steps of faith where you experience famine. Okay? You will be spiritually dry at times. Right? You're going to get up on a Sunday morning, and no, no, even if you hadn't missed a Sunday in eight years, you're going to be like one day, I don't want to go. Right? Some of you are here this morning, and you were drug here. <laughs> you know? Let's, I'm just being real with y'all. There, there are going to be periods of time to where you feel like God is leading you and it seems like you are swimming through jello trying to get to the place where God is leading you. There is famine that happens. This is where we trust. Notice what Abram does. Because this is where we see his faith begin to fail. 
Abram, now, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. Now, Egypt has the Nile Delta, the river valley there, that was much like the Fertile Crescent. It had crops, it had food, it had grasses for his herds. It was a place that was beckoning to him to say, you know what, God, I trust you, you've done these things. I'm, I'm, I've been to the Fertile Crescent, I had my needs provided for, I came here, you provided for me, now we're hungry, now we're starving. Egypt's just right here, I'm going this way. Here's a question, what's your Egypt? Let's think through that for a moment. You've experienced famine, haven't you? I mean, none of us starved to death. But we've experienced those moments spiritually where we feel depleted. We've experienced those times where we feel like God is not on our side. We've experienced those resistant steps of faith. And instead of trusting God, we run to the comfort zone, don't we? What's your Egypt? We've all got them. Now get what happens next. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I love what's about to happen next. If, you've ever had, if you're married and you've ever had an argument with your spouse, this beats that argument, okay? Notice what he says. I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now stop there. Let's not change the screen. This is like Valentine's Day. Honey, you're hot is what he's saying. Now she's like just a young 78-year-old, Okay? And he looks at her and says, Sarah, you're a complete babe. You're hot. You're lovely. Get what happens next. Verse 12. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. And the reason is, is they're going to take you. You're, you're so beautiful, Sarah. They're going to kill me and take you to be your wife. So in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the hope in the pursuit of self-preservation in our marriage, and because God has promised that he's going to establish a great nation through us, Sarah, here's what I want you to do. Verse 13, say you are my sister. Now, if you ever wondered what a dirty look looked like, I would love to get in a time machine and go back to this point where he said to Sarah, pretend to be my sister. Did not go well, right? Guys, here's some advice. I'm figuring out this marriage stuff. We've been together 16 years. Don't turn to your wife and say, pretend to be my sister. All right? Bad things happen. All right. Now, let's stop here. This is a half-truth, okay? They, in that day and age, this was very normal, very typical, but they had the same dad, okay? But Sarah didn't want to know, didn't want him to be, want to be known as his sister. He wanted to be known as his what? Wife. That's what God intended. All right, let's keep rolling. Saw some weird looks there about when I said that's, they had the same dad. Let me explain. That was very typical in that day and age in all cultures, okay? Now let's keep rolling. Thank God things have changed. All right. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So he's very selfish in this. Now when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. So basically Pharaoh sees her, all the princes of Egypt see her, all the leaders of Egypt see her. And they're like, you know what? Sarah is this wonderful, beautiful woman. She's come from a foreign land. She needs to be your next wife. And so they bring her into the palace. Now, here's what I want you to understand. They didn't consummate the wedding at that point. She's preparing to get married. It was tradition that you waited about six to nine months to make sure this woman wasn't pregnant before you actually got married. So she is there in the penthouse suite there in Pharaoh's palace. Now, notice what happens next. So she's a prisoner, in a sense, in a very nice place. So Sarah summoned, in verse 18, summoned Abram. 
I'm sorry, I messed up completely. Let's go back to verse 15. When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Verse 16, he treated Abram well for her sake. Now, Abram's living the high life. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and even camels, okay? This is a good spot for Abram. He's living the high life. I mean, he's got a neon sign on the side of his tent. He's got cows. He's got donkeys. He's got, he's got even camels. He may have seen those before. And sheep and even servants that Pharaoh has given to him. This guy is sitting good. And Sarah is not. Bad position to be in. Now, notice what happens next. Verse 17, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me this was your, she was your wife? Now, when something bad would happen in Egyptian culture, it was a pluralistic society, so they had a God for everything. The, the, most, the, the, the priority God in Egyptian culture was the sun God. And so when something bad was going on, they would go to these different gods and entreat them with a sacrifice or a ritual. He would send his priest out. Why is there a famine? Why is this going on? So all these diseases, and they're getting nothing. Well, they're not real gods, but the people are getting nothing. The priest can't figure out anything. So it must be this guy Abram because he is saying he is a servant of the only God, living God. So let's go to him. It must be him. Then it comes out, Sarah is actually his wife. And God's inflicting all of this disease on Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh's irritated, right? Get what happens next. Verse 19, why did you say she is my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way. Get this last part. We're going to come back to this. With his wife and what? Everything he had. He got to keep it all. That's important. We're going to get to that at the end of the story. But what I want to do for a few minutes is make a comparison for us and Abram. He lost his faith in those moments, right? He didn't trust God. God promised. God has been delivering on his promises. A famine came. He fled to Egypt. What I want to communicate is four incredible principles, I think, that we pull out of this text. The first two are encouraging. The second two are not. So let's start with the good news first, okay? The first thing you've got to understand about our weak and our failing faith is this. No one is immune to it. Some of us in this room are so hung up on the fact that we have failed God somewhere that we won't progress in our spiritual journey because we're afraid we're going to continue to fail. Y'all been there? Some of us feel like that we're so dry in our faith that we can't serve somewhere. Some of us feel like that we've let people down. Understand this. No one is immune to failure. When you look at biblical history and the history of mankind, there's only been one person that never failed. His name is Jesus, and we're here to worship him, okay? Everyone has failed. Abraham has taken these gigantic leaps of faith for God. But yet, when the famine struck, he ceased to, he ceased to trust God and gives an incredible testimony to you and I that even though we strive not to fail when we do, understand this, God still upholds his promises. This is what's radically different between us and any other religion on the face of the planet. Is that every other religion is based upon what you do. Jesus bases his, his, our faith on who we are, and that is a child of the king. We aren't immune to failure. Doesn't mean we should strive to fail. Doesn't mean we should be okay with failure. But let yourself off the hook because there is a 
doctrine called grace that says God loves you not based upon what you do. He loves you based upon who you are. And if Jesus is in your life, he looks down and sees Christ, not our shortcomings. Isn't that good? And what's so fascinating about Abraham here is that God continues to fulfill his promise. And in our weak and failing faith, understand me on this, you're not immune to failure. In the previous nine verses of Genesis chapter 12, Abraham has set up two sites of worship. One, we feel like, is the Holy of Holies located in Jerusalem, which was the middle of the temple where Jewish people worshipped hundreds of years later. He's experiencing God. He's talked to God. He knows God. He failed God. God didn't hang him out to dry. You do not have a God that hangs you out to dry, guys. When people do it, God does not. But there's another facet to this. And it's really simple. As they walked into Egypt, he looks at his wife, the worst marital conversation ever, and says, pretend to be my sister, because they're going to kill me. Abraham had something that you and I have too. Trust issues, right? Now, we say we trust God. But because of people failing us and us failing people and us failing God or our, our prayers not being answered the way we feel like, we have trust issues. I saw a cookie on a, uh, not a cookie, I saw a uh, magnet on someone's refrigerator one time and it said, raisin cookies are the reasons I have trust issues. <laughs> We've all had a raisin cookie before thinking it was a chocolate chip, right? And got really bitter about it. But here's what I want you to understand in the whole context of what's happening here. The trust issue that Abraham was, you know what, I've seen provision in the Fertile Crescent. Now I know hunger in Canaan, and I know there's provision in the Nile Delta in Egypt. Do I really trust my God enough? I believe my God, but do I trust my God? See, this is where crazy faith really puts rubber to asphalt. Do I trust my God? I understand you got trust issues. I've got them too. And I'm going to tell you something, this teaching series for me personally, and I believe if any pastor is not getting beat up by the sermon he preaches as he prepares the week ahead, he's not really preparing. And I guess I'm doing a good job because it has been beating me up with my trust issues and the things I haven't handed over to God. I want to encourage you on this. You may have trust issues, but God has no issues. He continues to hold you close. He continues to hold you when you fail. But there's more to the story here. Because those are moments of encouragement. Because I take great encouragement knowing that one of the patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, was not immune to failure and he had trust issues with God. But that doesn't mean it's okay to fail. Now there's grace when we fail. There's second chances when we fail. But that doesn't mean we just don't give effort in our spiritual growth. That doesn't mean we just stop and say, okay, I've got grace now. I'll attend church on Easter and Christmas, maybe one or two other times a year. I won't plug in at all. Christian values aren't going to be something I live by. Uh, I'll just do what I want to do, whatever makes me happy. But I know I know Jesus because I've asked him into my life and I've been baptized and I've followed through with this. But because Christ saves me and the pastor said it's not about my behavior, then therefore I'm okay. I won't try anymore. No, that's not what I'm saying. Because I want you to understand there's more to the story. And the third point that we need to deal with is this. Our frail and weak and sometimes struggling and failing faith that we, we have because we do nothing means that we sin. And I want you to understand, no one sins alone. No one sins alone. What I mean by that is that when Abram and Sarah walked into Egypt, and he says, pretend to be my sister, the 
trauma that she must have dealt with being in the courts of Pharaoh, separated from her husband during that period of time, must have been extreme, right? It affected her. Even though Abram was the one sitting, it affected Sarah, right? And not only that, if you progress down into the text, God inflicted all types of diseases on Pharaoh's court. It was an issue. And you may be there, and you might be a dad, and you might be a mom, or you might be a husband or a wife, or just an employee, and and you're sitting there, and you're like, you know what, I'm in sin here. I know I'm in sin, but it's mine, and it doesn't affect anyone else. Listen to me. That is a lie from hell. It does affect other people. Your apathy affects your family. Your unwillingness, my unwillingness to do things that follow Christ affects other people. My laziness spiritually affects those I love around me. You get what I'm saying here, right? Our sin affects everyone that we're close to and even those that we don't. And so when we allow our faith to say, you know what, I've got grace, I'll fail and it's okay because it only affects me. Mm -mm, No, it doesn't. Sin affects other people. People that don't deserve it, but it does. And then the second part of that caveat here is this. Understand that the world is watching you. If you're a professed Christian, and I hope you, if you're a believer and your attitude and your actions and hopefully your mouth doesn't proclaim Christ, uh, you're probably not a Christian. Understand me on this. When you're a believer, people know it. They're watching. And our sin affects other people. And our testimony taints the living God that we serve by how we act and how we live. Pharaoh was a pagan worshiper. The entire nation of Israel, or Egypt was. Israel has an opportunity to demonstrate the living God, the God that we serve. And the only thing that Pharaoh gets from him is God's people lie, and therefore God inflicts injury and disease on us. What a testimony, Abraham. Feel a little better about your evangelism now? <laughs> the world is watching. The world is watching us. Our weak and our frail and our failing faith, it is highly personal, but it manifests into some incredible, incredible consequences. And the way we move out beyond that frail faith is that we strive, we long for, we seek God. We're in the Word, we're in prayer, we're at church, we're other believers. And then when we do fail, we repent. We, 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 God, forgive me. Let me do something different. It's so important that we understand this. And, and what I want to go to further, because this, this goes into depths that we don't even begin to understand. What, what Abraham is doing here is he's developing coping mechanisms to when there is a famine. Just like you and I, when we go through stressful situations, we have ways we cope, right? Some of them are healthy. Some of them are not healthy at all. And so his coping mechanism, well, let's go back to my comfort zone, and the closest place is Egypt. Let me run to Egypt. You know, we asked that question, what is your Egypt? And I bet a thousand different answers popped up in this room. But the thing we have to understand about moving beyond this aspect is that trusting God, even in the midst of famine, when Egypt is calling, understand me on this. That's crazy faith. Trusting God when everything else is tempting you the other direction, 
That's crazy faith. You can't see it. You can't taste it. You can't touch it. You can't smell it, but you believe it. It's, it's staying true to the one who's true to you. So how do we wrap this up this morning and really put some application on this? What I want to do is go back to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and I want you to grab hold of this because I believe really it's, there's two points of application, but there's really three. I'm going to give you three. But I want you to go back all the way to the original moment, the first moment that God calls Abraham to leave his family. Read this with me. It'll be on the screen. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, I want you to skip over. The promise that God gives him is when you leave, I will bless you. I'm going to bless your family and create a great nation out of your lineage. And then through that lineage, I'm going to bless the world through Jesus. He's going to come from the Jewish people. He's going to die on the cross and rise from the dead. And people can go to heaven through him. Okay, you got that? That's the promise. Then, verse 10, Abraham fails. But go all the way down to the very last verse in verse 20. In the very last Three words. So Abraham, Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him away with his wife and what? Everything that he had. Even while Abraham was disobedient to God, God used that moment to bless Abraham with herds, with servants, with wealth, with stuff, to take back to Israel and establish a nation there. And here's what I want you to get. And you need to come in close to that because there's... I know for me, I need this. This is what Christianity, this is what the gospel is about. Because so many times I allow my behavior to dictate my faith and I find myself sitting in guilt. Are y'all with me on that? But understand this. God's favor is not based on our behavior. God's favor is not based upon our behavior. If it was, there would be no hope for us. There would be no reconciliation. There would be no second chance. God doesn't look at you in your sin and say, I'm done with you. God doesn't look at you in your spiritual betrayal and say, I'm through. His favor, if you are a Christian, is still on you. Because of this one ginormous truth through the gospel, and it's this. You are a daughter and a son of the Most High God, and you are greatly favored. You are a child of the king if you know Jesus. And he favors you. In the moment of your most extreme wickedness, he is pleased with you. You get that? That blows my mind. Because you are his. He, he is extravagant in his grace. And as we see this play out even before Jesus in the life of Abraham, he's extravagant in his blessing. That even though, Abraham, you betray me, you betray your people, you betray your wife, I'm still going to promise, I'm still going to uphold my promise in your life. And as a believer, you betray God, you betray your family, you betray yourself, you betray your church, I'm still going to uphold my favor in your life. My promise is that through Jesus, I will never leave you and forsake you, and one day you will rest and celebrate in complete contentment in heaven with me. Isn't that cool? If that doesn't make you worship, guys, nothing will. That's why we honor him. Two points of application. 
that was really the first one. But in my notes, the two points of application. Number one, your failures are not your story. He is. That's so good because you, you need to get this. The story of Abraham, this is not what we remember, is it? We remember the fact that he was continually faithful to God. Even though there are places throughout his entire story where he fails, we remember that God used him. And understand me, you're struggling with some things you've done in your past. Get this, that is not your story. If you know Jesus, he is your story. He is your story. So here's the question. How are you telling your story? On two extremes there. Are you telling your story of I'm just incapable, incompetent sinner? And I, by the way, I know Jesus. Or is your story this? I was an incapable, incompetent sinner, and then I met Jesus. And he changed everything. What you do is not who you are. Whose you are is who you are. Be a child of the king. And are you taking that story? And we saw this as illustrated in baptism this morning as other people have. There is no reason in this room for our regular and tenders and members not to invite and reach one person, is there? It's just an invite. There's invite cards out on the shelf outside. Take them with you. Invite. Bring. Share. Embrace new people. There's no reason. Second thing is this, and we're going to get out of here. Christ alone is the promise and pathway to favor. So many times we're looking for fulfillment and stuff, whether it be sex, whether it be entertainment, whether it be in finances, whether it be in relationships, whether it be in bass fishing. I don't know. But we're looking for that fulfillment and joy. But understand me on this. Your favor, your joy is through Christ, and the pathway to that is through him. The promise of that is through him. And the question I want to leave you with this morning is, do you know him, and have you changed? If you don't know Christ, it's as simple as A, B, and C. Admit you're separated from God because of the bad things we do. B, believe Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He died on the cross to take the punishment we deserve. We need, and then he rose from the dead because we can't live forever. He does. He's in our life. We get to, too. And then see, confess him. Ask him to come into your life. That's your crazy step of faith this morning. But for others of us in this room, has it changed you? What mark of the potter is on your life? What mark of Christ and his grace is permeating through your life? Is it holy living? Is it repentant, repentant living? What does that need to happen to take your crazy step of faith? For Abram and Sarah, they went out of Egypt as fast as they could. They settled back down in Canaan. God blessed, they still made mistakes, but we're going to look at next week at really the pinnacle of their story as we wrap up this series and find out how God truly provides in more ways than one and how a gospel element is in everything that we experience through Scripture. And my prayer for you is that you know the gospel. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, that Connect card you were given, I'm going to ask that you would turn it on the back in one of those boxes, if you want to know Christ this morning, there's three boxes. One that says, hey, for the first time today, I want to know Christ. And if that's you, check that box. Two, uh, I want to get baptized. You want to go public in your faith. There's many of you have accepted Christ and you've never taken that step of being baptized. Take it. Check that box. Third is, I want more information about what it means to be Christ, to be a Christian. And check that box. And I'll be calling you tomorrow morning because my fervent prayer, prayer of the leadership and the people here at this church is that you know Jesus, that you know freedom, that you know grace, that you know favor.
Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, we want to honor you in this time. Keep us, guide us, direct us, strengthen us. Help us grow in our understanding of you. Help us grow in our passion and pursuit of you. And help us live for your glory. Change us from the inside out. Help us radically experience the truth of Scripture to where it changes us. And God, more than anything else, let not our shortcomings be our story, but let you be our story and how you've changed, redeemed, forgiven, and strengthened us in that direction. Jesus, we love you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. In Christ's most precious and powerful name we pray. Amen.